Welcome to Revved Up for Sunday, everyone. We are the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church here in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And I'm Peter Walsh. I'm John Kennedy. We've arrived at the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, and we only have one to go after this. Can you believe it before we get to Lent? So um, we're still in Mark 1. Uh, last week we, we heard another excerpt, and this week we get another series of very significant snippets of uh, Jesus' life and um, I think within that, there's a lot of powerful lessons about how Mark is written and and how we can use it. So let's hear the text. This is Mark 1, 29 to 39. After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, when it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to jump in here, John. Sorry if you wanted to say something. I'm really excited about something. So we think or are told in our studies that Mark's gospel is a reflection of Peter and Peter's teaching and that Mark wrote down Peter's stuff. And if that is true, this story today is perfect to as mm-hmm. some sort of proof to that. I mean, look what we've got here. We are in uh, Peter and Andrew's and James and, you know, Peter and Andrew's hometown. Now, granted, two, two podcasts ago, we said they were from Bethsaida, but maybe born in Bethsaida, moved to Capernaum, or maybe not. But anyway, we're, we're in Peter's hometown, and uh, we've just been at the synagogue. We go 40 yards, or maybe 50 yards, for those of you who've been to Capernaum, it's so close, and you go 50 yards, and where are you? You're in Peter's house. And then while you're in Peter's house, you get Peter's mother-in-law. So now, and in, would a, in a healing that would have been a very private, uh, you know, in a room with a very, very sick woman. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have that. We have his house. We have his mother-in-law. And then at sundown, it says they're gathered around the door, which is one of those things like mm-hmm. uh, he was in the back of the boat on a pillow where you get this little, little factoid uh, uh, that would be very particular in its memory. And if you take a look at the footprint of Peter's house, there's these small rooms because no room in antiquity can be big because they don't have wood to go over the top of them. And particularly because there's no wood, not much wood in, in the Holy Land, at least that part of the Holy Land. He's around the door. And, and then all of this stuff happens, and then the next morning, who's looking for him? But it's Peter. So it's a, this is a Peter story. It's a mm-hmm. Jesus story uh, about Peter's interactions through the eyes of Mark, told by Mark. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I, I, you want to uh, respond to that? Or? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much to, to dig into with the, the particularities around Peter and his mother-in-law. I mean, first of all, Peter's married, right? So that's interesting, and that's that's um, also mentioned by Paul in First Corinthians. On topic. Yeah, On topic. right? The first pope was married. And uh, then his mother-in-law. I mean, there's so much to say about the mother-in-law. I, I don't know if we're ready to, to jump into those details. Let's stay, let's I, I stay mean, on yeah. the first pope yeah. here for one moment. Unless well, you've got to go I, I would respond to go. something you said. Yeah. I, feel, I think that this is a... Um, it, it very well is, I think, I agree with you that it's to- stories told by Peter and possibly others. Um, and I think Mark, we are also taught it's the first or earliest form of this. It's the earliest gospel and the first of its kind. Right. You know, yeah. this genre of gospel. And uh, clearly it's a collection of stories that were told by people who lived through them and saw them differently once they experienced the resurrection. And at least yeah. one source I read um, suggests that the whole thing is written by these people who experienced Jesus differently, r- had their memories, and went back and told the stories um, as if they were after the resurrection and Jesus teaching them what to do. And, you know, at the end of Mark, in Mark 16, he says, go back to Galilee where I will show you everything. Right. You know, so in a way, it becomes a handbook for Peter and all the other earliest followers to realize what to do now and and they experience they go back to Galilee and they sort of uh, walk through these healings and stuff so there's like a double vision oh interesting yeah I never Uh, I thought that was sort of interesting like you know a lot of the elements here taking her by the hand and lifting her up you know after the resurrection Jesus raised us all, you know, so in the minute she's raised, she becomes a deacon and begins to serve. Mm-hmm. You know, she responds to her resurrection um, in service. And so it's a sort of teaching for the mm-hmm. earliest followers to, yes. to go and do likewise. Yeah. OK, interesting. And because you brought it that way, we were going uh, to I just I know I know I want to I'm going to stick right where you are. And mm-hmm. this is a icon that uh, I gave to Jill Sekoulis, our director of operations, because I think she's like Peter's mother. She's the ultimate servant. Uh, this was going to be my my secret Santa Christmas gift to her that was not to be revealed. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it came late and Jill got it late. But you'll see in the icon that the way that Jesus grabs um, you know, Peter's mother-in-law's hand is the exact same way that in icons you see Jesus grabbing uh, Adam and Eve or the, those oh, wow. who have died and mm-hmm. been in the hell, the hell canyons of mm-hmm. hell, the dead. Mm. He doesn't grab them by the hand. He grabs them by the wrist so that mm. there can be no cho- no chance mm. that he cannot pull them wow. up. Wow. So, That's beautiful. Uh, just what you say. Very beautiful. powerful. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, you mentioned that um, Peter's mother-in-law becomes a deacon. And, of course, that that is the actual Greek verb for serve here, diakonine. Mm -hmm. And it is also the verb that is used to describe the ways that the angels minister to Jesus during his temptation. We don't get the detail about the angels, I don't think, in Mark's gospel, but in Mm -hmm. perhaps Matthew and or Luke. Sorry, I didn't do all my homework on that. But I do know that that's the verb used to describe what the angels do for Jesus. I think it is in Mark where it's wild beasts and the angels wait on Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, Yeah. okay, so you just don't get the details about the the different temptations. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, it's used by Jesus when he describes himself as one, the son of man who came uh, not to be served, but to serve. Mm, right. So right. Um, very uh, contrary to um, this being a story about uh, a, a poor woman who's sick in bed and then immediately has to go up, get up and take care of the men. Um, <laughs> it's really about her uh, uh, being energized, yeah. full of energy. 
to do what Jesus does. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the English, at least the NRSV translation, um, doesn't convey the severity of her illness, but the idea is that she is deathly sick. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she probably has malaria, mm-hmm. which is what wow. they think. That's what, that wow, was what, then? that was, yeah, malaria was the, was the, uh, was the super high fever thing. Uh, she's not in bed resting. She is. She's bedridden. She's yeah. yeah. She's very sick and potentially, eventually to die. And this is where this exposes how um, how our scriptures don't tell us so much of what we want to know. Mm-hmm. We have Peter's wife, who we get a little glance at, like okay, so he's got a mother-in-law, and then in that incredible passage in one Corinthians where he says that he traveled with her, and you're like, huh? Mm-hmm. He did? Mm-hmm. How come we don't hear more about that? She has yeah. no name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter's mother-in-law has no name. Yeah. yeah, I would love these people to be named. So we have all these, <laughs> you know, St. Paul churches. We could get some yeah. more sanctified yeah. churches after. Mm-hmm. These are the people. Definitely. I like the vagueness of these details because I think we get to play with them much, much more. And the idea of a fever, you know, we live our lives feverishly. That's and, true. You know, it doesn't really matter what she had because she was in bed with it and unable to do anything else. And to be raised up out of that just applies to any sort of sickness. Um, and mm-hmm. also in the passage that you addressed last week that I missed talking about with you, um, Jesus is casting out demons in the synagogue and those are people demonized. You know, they have they have demons who um, are declared unclean and unholy. And here he's in an ordinary house curing an ordinary illness. You know, he can do it all. And, and I think there's a new sacred place when Jesus leaves the temple, he enters the house in the, you know, the resurrected Jesus sanctifies all these spaces, you know, and um, it was the Sabbath, I think, when he does this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, so we don't necessarily need to know exactly what all the sicknesses were that he healed, because I think the idea is this in Mark that it's the span of all death and all, you know, sacred demonization, holy, you know, kind of religious outside casting out and also just our ordinary walk of life that's so burdensome, you know, well, that Jesus. Yeah, really and you, you've in. certainly given a beautiful defense of Mark and telling of the story, which is the scraping away of the details so that you just get bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Spare, the spare, the spareness of it mm-hmm. is like getting hit constantly with the message yeah. and you don't get lost and, oh, she had malaria. But I, it's you know. It's an incredible way of writing. Uh, He's just a, was a genius. Super hard way to write. I mean, this yeah. is like right out of, uh, I didn't have enough time to write a short letter or Hemingway's <laughs> writing, mm. you know, the spareness of the words, mm. no big words. Mm-hmm. It's it's in that vein yeah. where there is um, very little description. I think that one of the things for me uh, is that that makes the gospel like poetry. It doesn't mm-hmm. give it yeah, secrets right 100%. away. You really have yeah. to stay with it for a while. Mm-hmm. And and I oftentimes need little pieces and parts <clears> to to hold on to for me to go, aha, now uh-huh. I can see it, now I can get it. Like, like when you get to the part where it says, um, that evening at sundown. So one of the classical Markin things is he, he doubly says that evening at sundown. So mm-hmm. he doubles up on this mm-hmm. description rather than just saying that. He, right. And then, uh, and so what Meaning that's... it's past the, the Sabbath It's now. past right. the Sabbath yeah. time. Yeah. So suddenly you're like, ah, oh, it's past the, past the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you can't care, you can't care for your, your, your problems on the Sabbath and you can't walk that far. Uh, and then it says the whole town shows up. Now, I'm sort of interested in this because if you go to Capernaum today and everybody should go to Capernaum who's there because they have this 
like flying saucer church that the Franciscans built over the oh, top yeah, of the ruins, mm -hmm. and the which was basically built in the same design as a Byzantine church that was trying to you know keep the ruins of St. Peter's house uh, as sacred. But we get this whole thing that the whole town shows up. So Capernaum now is a bunch of ruins. And I looked up in Wikipedia. I said, how many people lived in Capernaum when Jesus lived there? Of course, Wikipedia knowing all things, right? <laughs> and they said 1,500, which I sort of made me chuckle. But whatever it is, it's in the hundreds. Capernaum was not a nothing place. I mean, mm -hmm. it was an active fishing town, and there yeah. was you know, a, uh, a busy um, uh, highway, mm -hmm. uh, traveled highway, the, the Via it's something about water, the road along the water mm. where there was a lot of trade. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. um, Right. Yeah. Sm small, but not that small place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, then all, all the more, um, uh, you know, that this is a good place for Jesus's um, messianic secret to sort of enter the story. He's in this place where there are people, they are gathering to see him and his fame is, is spreading. And um, in this story, we get, one instance, the first instance of what will show up again and again throughout Mark's gospel uh, to a lesser, a much lesser extent in, in the other synoptic gospels, which is this prohibition uh, against people who know who he is saying who he is. In this case, it's uh, demons. He will mm -hmm. not permit them to speak because they knew him. Later, it'll be ordinary people who um, kind of figure out, oh, you know, you're, you're the Messiah or something. And he says, don't tell anybody. At the, after the transfiguration, he says, do not tell anybody until I've been raised. Um, and uh, that's just one of the key themes of Mark, and it's such an interesting one, mm -hmm. especially juxtaposed with John, where he's just like kind of out in the open with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm the guy. Yeah, I'm the guy. In Mark, he's like, don't tell anyone I'm the guy. I'm serious. Right. So what do you think that's <laughs> yeah, I mean, about? Okay, Elizabeth, what do you make of the messianic secret? I'm, you, I've started you, you, to believe that. You pro that. or con. I mean, you pro. Yeah. <laughs> pro or con, yeah. I don't know. I almost feel like it's sort of a trick um, of the, the Markan community reading this gospel that they weren't allowed. They didn't even know. They couldn't have possibly said who he was, his own disciples. They didn't, rec they didn't realize it at the time. But now that they get to read the story as if they were all being silenced, now they must go and tell. I mean, in a way, it's kind of a, uh, I don't know what the term would you be. You think it's this. a literary trick of sorts? Well, not hmm. literary, but just a mental or a, you know, spiritual prodding that you couldn't then, now you must, you know, and now that's what we're doing is oh, going out to say who he is. And mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. That's just my own reflection because I don't know what to make of that. I think, mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this before that, you know, J Jesus knew they wouldn't possibly know what to do with that information and wouldn't be able to frame it correctly because mm -hmm. he wasn't here for political reasons and right. he didn't want to start a, re a political revolution. No. Um, so maybe something like that yeah. but yeah I, I mean I used to be I used to be really down on it I, I I didn't like it and then I got to be kind of pro for it you know so I've been all <laughs> over the place really I think that it, it's I so, never yeah, thought to be yeah, for yeah. again yeah, yeah well it used to irritate me then I was like oh no this is super good and then I, I think that the interesting part about it at least in this version of it is this idea of the spiritual world and the spiritual life and what's going on in the spiritual world back to what we were talking about last week is that we don't live in neutrality 
morality and we're trying to find God in a neutral zone, mm-hmm. you know, and that the in antiquity, the world was completely peopled by spirits, uh, many of them malignant spirits. And mm-hmm. uh, and that and that what's happening that because these demons are in the spiritual world, they understand the spirituality of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the the, uh, the the dunderhead disciples are not living in the spiritual. They're living in the plane that we all live on. And so they don't have that information. So mm-hmm. the demons have more information because they're of the same world. And, and as beings of darkness, they recognize the being of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and always, you know, I mean, last week Jesus told them to shut up. Mm-hmm. That would not be silent, but the, the Greek is shut up. Yeah. And, and now here he said they wouldn't let him talk. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so anytime a demon seeks to have power over Jesus, he slams it. And I think that in the context of, of the telling of the gospel or the writing of the gospel, it was at a period where particularly in apocalyptic Judaism, uh, the world was full of these spirits and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light was in a lethal battle of war versus the kingdom of the, the devil and the kingdom of darkness. And so what's happening here is there's a whole other drama being played out in an, on another level, mm-hmm. not just healing people and making them well, but also defeating mm-hmm. the yeah. spiritual the spiritual you know, life of that. But anyway, I think there's truck to that. I I also feel like in Mark and in Jesus life, there is a very earthbound real controversy between, um, the religious sacred boundaries and then the ones that the kingdom of God is meant to break and set new, new guidelines. And so I don't know that it's maybe the unseen spiritual world alone. It could also be that Um, earlier I used the word demonized. I think these people that we meet in the gospel that have demons are people who are demonized. You know, they're also, they're they're outcasts. They rouse up the crowds against them. They're, you know, crowds gather around them because they're so, um, whatever they are, controversial or provocative, and they need to be dealt with, you know, and put out. And um, Jesus puts the demon out of them and declares them clean. Mm, yeah. So there's something there where he does that in the in the temple. They're called um, unclean spirit, just in the passage before this. Mm-hmm. And now out in the world, they're called demons. You know, they're like, they're, I feel like Mark is playing with the temple purity, clean versus unclean. You know, it's holy versus unclean. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus is just dealing with, um, you know, demonized and and made clean um and you know the over against the religious establishment that would call them outcasts yeah this is your Girardian view of the the planet and 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 super super well taken I Mm -hmm. thought you're actually going to go to another place on that uh which was he goes in and he and Jesus touches a woman Mm-hmm. And that too. And I mean, that, which that's was, well would have been way out of bounds. Yeah. And yeah. we have this. I mean, on, it, on the Sabbath day. On the mm-hmm. Sabbath day, right, we're right going to get Jesus. Uh, you know, the Sarah is going to be with the Syrophoenician woman and the woman who has has been bleeding mm-hmm. for twelve years. Mm-hmm. That that this touch. So Jesus is breaking through the boundaries of that. Yeah. And those boundaries are still in play in certain places. I can say in mm-hmm. in the town we live in. Uh, I when a new rabbi moved to town, I went to. I, I greeted him and, and introduced myself, and I went to shake hands with his wife. And she said, you know, she nodded and she said, "Plainly, I, I don't shake hands," uh, you know, to, mm-hmm. uh, because of uh, their pious devotion, which I mm-hmm. super completely respect. But that would mm-hmm. be an example mm-hmm. of um, I don't shake hands. Right. I don't shake hands with a man, mm. right? 
Mm-hmm. That, that's just not there. So, I mean, we have that even yeah. still. So, I, yeah. I thought yeah. you were going that place. Well, you're, I, you're I, I mean, I too. didn't say it, but that's yeah. just part of the whole picture, I think, that right. he's breaking boundaries left and right. You know, he's eating with sinners and touching lepers and mm-hmm. all, yeah. the, all of the stuff. Um, but I feel it's, it's, it's significant that he's raising her up and, and, you know, he raises up Jairus' daughter, the little girl, in the same way, and then a little boy who's right. got an unclean spirit. And he raises these people up. So one after the next in Mark, he's acting out the post-resurrection work. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. good call. Um, and we get a lot of that just yeah. right here. The word raise up, yeah. And even, yeah. you know, here in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went went out. You know, I feel like that's another Mark in clear phrase of precursor to the resurrection mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i didn't catch um, that that's yeah. good i didn't catch the in the morning no that's yeah nice. i didn't and either but that's very good just like they do at the resurrection yeah you know? that's a good yeah. call on your part that's a very good call so speaking of i mean we, we get um mark's first telling of jesus's prayer life how he prays yeah yeah he prays uh, i mean i'm sure he prays at other times in other ways but in this case uh, outside in the dark and alone mm-hmm yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And in this case, it's, you know, likely on a hill because out around the Sea of Galilee, there, there are those gentle mm-hmm. hills around the edge. Uh, and the word that they use uh, there, you know, for a deserted place or a lonely place. I mean, there's no desert around there. The Sea of Gal- the Galilee is the breadbasket yeah. of, the, of that area, was then and is now. Uh, and, but the, the Greek word for that, and you guys will do better with this than I will do, but um, is, the, is the Greek word where we get hermit mm-hmm. uh, and we get that whole kind of... Um, aromatical uh, uh, spirituality of solitaries, of going to the desert, of mm-hmm. of, um, of getting let, mm-hmm. getting rid of, and, mm-hmm. and being alone with the divine. Yeah, yeah, it's a super yeah. important story. Yeah, super important story, John. And and you know, given that you have contemplative uh, leanings, one that you know you can really identify with and enjoy mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian McLaren and um, Richard Rohr, that whole camp, talk a lot about using this gospel about the importance of the and between action and contemplation. Right, yes. You know, that Jesus does it all, and it's not just silence. It's like silence with God yeah. in the dark, in the quiet, yeah. and um, very intentional to go back out yes. to action. Yes, it's, it's, it's all there, the action and the, and the contemplative. And, and there's, um, uh, I don't know if struggle or tension is the right word, but certainly um, a dynamic of, of Jesus uh, being um, in the midst of, of humanity and mm-hmm. all of the activity and even chaos and obviously pain um, and certainly noise of that and uh, and of course the community and all, all the nice things that come with that as well but uh, Jesus is also buddy somebody who has a hunger for communion with God which um, is experienced in a unique way in mm-hmm. silence you can't you can't get what you get in silence Outside of silence, mm-hmm. that, right. that is my. That's well said. You, you, you can't, you can't, right. <laughs> you, you can't that. talk your way yeah. there. Yeah. You can't read your way there. Yeah. You to, yeah. right. I think that one of the one of the great uh, joys of my sabbatical was to have so much more time for silence and uh, and and you know my my whole uh, sort of conclusion was that the, the real deal here is not that we go to outer space. It's that we go to inner space mm-hmm. and, uh, the, the journey into inner space. I, I remember I, I said when I first came back, wouldn't it be awesome if Elon Musk was as interested mm-hmm. in inner space as he is in <laughs> outer space, because to enter into inner space is to enter in to the depths of your humanity, the depths of all humanity, and mm-hmm. the depths of the divine. If you hang in there long enough, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and and so uh, 
you know, this, this piece of Jesus going off to pray, uh, it's amazing how so few words mm-hmm. are so powerful and have such a big effect on mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Enormous. Yeah. I think we, we could wrap up just for the sake of our listeners, but there is so many more things to explore in here. Mm-hmm. Um, just any last word, and then we can, we can leave a, some cliffhangers for people. Let's awesome. have mercy and be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Go into our silence. Yes. So thanks for listening today, and uh, don't forget to leave us a voicemail if you get a chance. The number is 203-442-5002. The phone's been lighting up lately, and we have Tony from Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania, who left us a very, very nice message. Let's hear it. Hi, this is Tony Brooks. I'm the verger of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And I just want to give you a positive comment. I enjoy every single Tuesday, I don't know, for the last couple of months since I discovered your podcast or YouTube and watching on television. You have helped me greatly come more in love with the gospel and look forward to every Sunday and how my particular priest will give his sermon. So thank you very, very much, and keep up the good work in New Canaan, Connecticut. Hi from Pennsylvania. Bye. That's so moving. I I love that people are listening, and I really appreciate the feedback. I mean, I think that, to me, it keeps keeps my feet to the fire to keep preparing and, and doing this with you. Yeah, it's so. exactly the purpose of Revved Up for Sunday. It's to help uh, prepare the turf for the gospel yeah. so that when it comes on Sunday morning, it's, you know, more fruitful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And only one thing I'll add is that ever since I was in seminary, I really longed for the approval of a verger. So thank you, Tony. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Vergers are the best. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. Slow. All right. Well, have a great week. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week.